food is not equal. There are some who can afford it and some who cannot. Those who can afford it have access to a lot, and those who can't afford it have access to less. And I started questioning, why? How? What 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 happened? And the more I journeyed into it, that, that first this was just year one, by the way. You know, at the market, I'm here with my produce, I'm excited, you know, I got all this got the carrots, I got the beets, I got the so it was it was awesome, man. I looked good. But everybody coming in, it was more like Jesse, I can't afford this stuff. To Empowered Podcast with Patrick McGuire as he has empowered conversations with great people, doing great things, and helping others. Join us at empoweredpodcast.ca. Hey, friends, it's Patrick McGuire here with Empowered Podcast. Really excited for today's conversation. First of all, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for joining the Empowered Conversation. And this conversation is with a pretty cool guy, Jesse Zhao. We'll talk about him a little bit more. But before I get into this, let me just say this. You're in for a real treat. I mean a real treat. I'm going to have an empowered conversation with a technologist turned urban farmer. Jesse takes urban spaces and rehabilitates them into growing spaces. That's cool. His goal is to enable others to learn how to grow and make Toronto, Canada, where he's from, and all of Canada, I threw that in there, Jesse, a resilient market powered local, powered by local growers. And, you know, today we're going to get dirty, you know, not necessarily, but I mean, this is timely for everybody. This is something that we should all be better at. And if we aren't, we should know someone who is. And Jesse, I know you tell me that too. You remind me like, who do you know in your farmers? I'm talking about urban farming folks and feeding friends, family, and strangers in need. And that's something that Jesse and his team do. And I might as well just introduce the guy, Jesse Zhao, co-founder at Zawadi Farms. Jesse, thanks so much for joining me, buddy. Thank you for catching up with me. I appreciate the intro. That's, wow, that's humbling. <laughs> well, you're, you're out you there so killing it. You are. Appreciate that. We're trying. We're trying. Yeah. There's a lot of work so, to be done, man. We can get into it, but this, 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 we, we got a good start. Yeah, absolutely. And and just before we get going, just a reminder for everyone, thanks for joining us on Empowered Podcast. This is where I get a chance to have conversations with, empowering conversations with people doing great things and doing it to help others. So great people, great things, helping others. I love it. I really do mean it. And, and Jesse, yes. thank you again. I know I said it, but thank you. I do not mean thanks for joining this podcast. I mean, thank you for all that you are doing for your feeding people in need, for taking a passion and a love you have to actually make a difference in your own life, in the lives of those around you and those that you don't even know yet. Educating, sharing, growing, and caring for food, for our planet, and for people. So uh, big thanks. I'm a real fan. You know I love people with causes. I love your cause. Thank you, Jesse. I feel that and I appreciate that when you see that. Thank you. That feels great. It's, it's, it's not long. We don't get this kind of moments where you feel appreciated. So thank you for saying that. And I love it. I will use it as fuel and do more. Wow. I, I think you are. And, you know, I've already been talking to a lot of people that I talk to through podcasts, through my business network and telling them about this guy that actually I better do a full disclosure here. Before we get rolling, I better tell you that I've known Jesse a lot longer than just this podcast. I've known Jesse longer than when he was the farmer. Jesse the farmer was Jesse the technologist. We both knew each other That's thanks right. to our cousins back when you were a techie. That's right. <laughs> 
Take this. We, you, so you saw me in the, on those days, and now we're meeting on this other side. This is actually good to see me on two camps. It's beautiful. Absolutely. And and I hey, look, first time we ever met was through John and Karina, our cousins, my wife's cousins, and we shared meals, we shared laughter, we had a good time, we grabbed coffee. I remember at a at a chapters one time, and that That's was the right, first time I met you personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we it's we talked about test. tech. So so this is yeah crazy. It's, it's, I'm liking this uh, picture right now because I rarely get to meet uh, and talk to friends who saw me before in my tech world. And now they're meeting me in my farming space. And it's actually, how, how can I put it? It's, you remember, you remember the inception when you walk into and decide twisting the world upon itself? Yeah. That scene where DiCaprio was walking in and the, the dreamer was like, the architect, sorry, she was Boom. making a maze around it. That's how it feels right now, and I love it because I want to. I wish I could. Ex- I want to actually. I will take the time to explain to our viewers and your listeners what exactly it feels like. So let's dive into for that. sure. And and it is pretty surreal and pretty cool because, you know, even myself, I'm definitely not at anywhere near the level that you and your team are at. But you know, myself, I've really envisioned and started to be more of a. I'll call it an almost green thumb. We've been growing more ourselves. We have our own intentions. I love technology. I still use it a lot in my businesses, but you know, we want more of our own food. We want to grow our own stuff. We want to make sure we take care of that. We want our chickens. We are always actively looking for farms and almost put a bid in there just before Christmas on an incredible 32 acres with an organic buckwheat. So, so this is timely that we get a chance to talk, but again, it's, it's, it's the weird tech coming to agro and, you know, wanting to see more people enjoy it. I know we both have a passion for helping others. And we talked about, and we will talk about taking people out of the environments that they're currently in, putting them into an environment and getting them grounded and, and getting back to earth. And, and your comment resonated with me in our discovery call about stewards of the land. And, you know, you know, for those that are, are into it, we definitely have a purpose and a passion. We have our own belief systems that we all are different, but, you know, you can't argue with helping people and feeding people. And I'm really excited for that, Jesse. So let's just really quickly, as we start yes. to talk about how you transitioned, I want you to just give me in your words so everybody can hear it. Why did you go from tech to agro and why is it Zawadi Farms? So I love that question so much. I keep hearing that a lot, and I'll try to not uh, bore your listeners with the, you know, the whole story. But it, it's one of those things that I grew up wanting tech. I, I didn't know much about technology, right? I, was, I grew up in Nairobi, Kenya. The first machine I ever saw was in my mom's office. She was an architect, uh, running an architect. Uh, she was an office manager at an architect company. And one of the guys there, Tom Odrizon, loved when we came on Saturdays to hang out with my mom. And he introduced me to the Macintosh, the first disc-to-disc, disc-to-disc Mac. So I didn't even know what that was, but we were playing games on it. It was a blast. So every Saturday, that was like the thing I wanted to do. But I, that was, I didn't know that was a seed was planted back then. So as time went on, I wasn't in any in um, need or drive to be in technology but as soon as I graduated from high school, my mom said, you know, just go check out this, this computer class. And, and I'm telling you, man, I, everything seemed to work with me. Just the machines. I, could, I built a laptop. I fixed a laptop when hmm. my first ever 
it was actually a job interview. Some guy said, here, fix this laptop. You can fix it to get a job. And I opened it up and I, I understood what I was looking at. I wasn't trained on it. It just made sense to me. And it's, it just snowballed from there. Things just started working. I started doing data analysis. I studied and my study was under uh, systems architecture and design. That's what I graduated on, studied for two years. And I just saw the merger of internet and TV coming together, that convergence. And I wanted nothing else in this world that to be in front of that. Just that, like, I didn't know what YouTube was. I didn't understand what Netflix is. I, that wasn't in my radar. But something about just seeing how that convergence was coming, I wanted to be in the forefront of it. And the reason why I ended up in Canada was there was no university or college anywhere in the world offering this specific training. Wow. Which was actually studying macromedia. So before Adobe became Adobe, it was Adobe with Photoshop, Illustrator, and all that stuff. Right. But back in the day, Flash was the tool that would bring video to your you know, to your screen, to your browser. And I wanted to study that. And there was nobody in the world offering it. And this, so background really quickly, I was running a meeting in a cafe. That's why I had, you know, internet access okay. then to monitor and track. And actually, I was training business education back in Kenya. I was running an internet cafe. I was actually training students to go to US and Canada to go to schools. So that gave me the in to track all the universities and colleges, what they're offering. But I was on the point of find me who's teaching macromedia. Amazing. And this, and then one day this college has popped up, macromedia training in Humber College, Toronto. I've, I wanted to do online learning because I didn't want to be uh, in Canada. But anyways, long story short, I ended up coming to Canada and studying under Humber College for two years. A phenomenal training. Those guys knew how to teach. And long story, man, I was the team that helped Barack Obama's online video campaign, Bright Cove. I was their partner. Uyala was one of those guys who helped online video become online video. They were the CDNs of that time. Those were my partners. I introduced them to Canada. I brought them to Canada. It was amazing. Oh, my God. So I stood on that hill. It was awesome. So I, I rode that wave. I was in Vegas. I was in Panama. I traveled. It was awesome. But where it became, where things started changing was standing out. Dude, I worked with Google. I worked in all these big institutions. Uh, and what I felt, the more I got into this journey, I started finding I'm standing on the summit of the wrong hill. And when I, what I felt was the more I climbed up and the more I was up, the more disconnected I was with humanity, with what is that drives and motivates and, and grows humanity, that people connection, human connection was not on that summit. And the way mm. that's or from that point, anything I was building, equipping, being partnered or whatever, they were building systems then that were best work. They would work best in the human disconnection. Wow. And that didn't work for me. And I could see those algorithms. I could see them writing and I could see them just building them. And they're great. This is before Facebook even came out. So just seeing that advent of human disconnection was something that didn't feel something in my spirit just didn't work. And it was bad. I just feeling that was not as, as small as just realization. It was, it happened first starting in a boardroom when I was doing a presentation and the, and the, and the, <laughs> the CEO at that time, I could see this where I was trying, I was trying to sell human connection. He wanted human disconnection. And I was, that he was all tech and you were people. He was all talk. I'm all people. And his dude, no. And, and I felt so bad. 
And it was a downward spiral, man. I went to a wow. huge depressive state. I was just not sleeping well. I was, yeah, oh, it was just horrible. My mind was just foggy, dark. And, but luckily, a friend of mine introduced me to a podcast that actually Karina did, your cousin did. She okay. said a podcast of this guy called Michael Abelman uh, of Soul Food Farms, S-O-L-E Farms. I don't know why she sent me the podcast. I, mean, I don't know why, but she <laughs> sent me this and said, check it out. So when I listened to this podcast, it was, CBC, it was, it was on CBC. It was a pre-recorded CBC conversation. But when I was listening to this guy and to talk about the work he was doing, there was something different with it. It was directly opposite of what I experienced. He was wow. So downtown east side Vancouver, as anybody would know, is one of the roughest, toughest parts of the city. I, I don't tough. know about Canada-wide, but <laughs> it's a tough... But he built a garden there. And not just any whatever. He built a market garden, meaning in, in farming space, in farmanese, it means you're growing food for okay. you're just gardening for feeding yourself. This is market gardening. And he was doing it with the population that the society did not want to associate with, right? On that property corner that just, just don't talk about us and look at us, whatever. And just hearing how the people working with the soil, with the plants, with the seedlings and the water and everything, they were reestablishing themselves all over again and realizing their humanity within themselves and through that connecting with each other. Wow. My mind was just like, this is everything I wanted. Things everything in, It was directly opposite of tech world. In tech, by the way, as you would know, I will not tell you what I'm doing there. Like, you need an intellectual property. You have to sign it. Lawyers have to agree with it. If I show you my code, you can't show anybody my code. Yeah, there's always some secret sauce goes. and something behind the this, magic curtain. Do you know what I mean? Farming is the opposite. Completely opposite. I have... One major thing that came through this journey, I was building a greenhouse. I have zero, again, I came in cold. I mean, as in <laughs> chopping laptop to build, taking a hammer, building a greenhouse and on a farm level. And this one, one winter was like late February, early March. I was going to build a greenhouse in my backyard, a 50-foot greenhouse. And my friends who were farmers, like they were 10 years, like eight years ahead of me, my mentors they came out to help me. And I'm looking at them like, you're, you're the CEO of your farm. You're the CEO of your farm. You're the owners of your own entities, but you're here helping me. It's like Google saying, I want to build something. Yahoo shows up. Amazon shows up. Microsoft shows up. And they say, look, how can we help you build this thing? Because we want you to play. Jeremy, that was how I'm not going to get in the same sandbox. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine? It's impossible. There's nothing that would allow that to happen. But this was how it worked out. These, my members, uh, sorry, my mentors, they stood up for me. And the recalibration for me was that in the advent and the space of food, this foodscape itself is based upon feeding people, not competing who to feed, but feeding people. And if you look at the populace, just in Toronto is, what are we at now? Close to 3 million? I'm, I'm yeah. Name me one farm that can feed 3 million people on one shot. No. It's happening. impossible. No. And even the biggest farm that I know can only feed maybe, what, 150? So if you recalibrate that, you can see how when they were helping me, they were adding another person to grow food for the, for the city. 
know what I'm saying? To me, and that was, and that to me was just the solidifying factor of I get why my spirit was crying and saying get out of here, and now that I'm doing this, it's like we got work to do. So I hope I'm, I hope I painted up. <laughs> No, no, never talking too much. I mean, it's good to understand where we come from so we can better understand where we're going to Mm. currently embrace where we're at. And right now you're at a, an incredible place in your life journey at an incredible place with Zawadi farms and, you know, you're making an impact, you know, and that's, that's cool. Like we both did the tech thing. I still do a little bit of tech, but you know, for me, when I was doing HR tech back when we first met the HCM product, you know, I, I was really lucky because I got to chat with some incredible HR professionals. So I was able to make a really great connection with that one person, but the other 300, 1,052, three, five employees, there's no connection there. And there's zero impact in selling them software. All they did was able to put their name in faster and keep track of their performance reviews. So zero impact, but now being able to do empowered podcast, I love it because I'm able to just share great stories with great people that empower others. And that's what we're doing here with you. Of course, that's a passion thing. And, and what you got there is a whole pile. It might be a manure pile of passion, but you got a pile of passion and you're doing something with it and you're impacting and connecting with people and plants. And that's massive. And you're doing it on a big scale. I mean, yeah, we started off with, like I said, I came in green. I didn't even know how much land I needed. I didn't even know what else, how much food I was going to grow. But like I said, this space is just full of surprises. So I found this guy who wrote the book called Urban Farmer. His name is Curtis Stone. And he pioneered this thinking of farming in the city. He taking over backyards and rehabilitating them. How do you do that? What soil are you going to use? How plantic rotations? So he coined this phrase, dare I say he did it. And when I actually had the chance before he decided growing that first year to actually visit with him. Whoa. And he's become a close friend of mine, a brother. And it was such an impactful space just to, to see how his operation was. I got to have a one-to-one conversation and spend a week with him. And I remember the first time we met, I told him, Curtis, I need a break because my head is just full right now. I need to sleep and I need to come back with bigger. Because what he was doing was based on simplicity, not complexity, simplicity. And the simplicity that I love was that it is transferable, right? It's not the IP mindset. It is something I am doing that if you see me do it, it makes sense why I'm doing it and you can easily perform the same way. And and just to cut you off on that one, the IP mentality to me is like hoarders. We're hoarding something that we think is special. You're sharing a knowledge. Well, he was sharing a knowledge with you that you're going to pass on for generations. And that is where it became, my head was trying to wrap its head around. Because again, I grew up tech. I did everything in the tech world. IP protection and lawyers and HR and, you can't, you shouldn't, you can't. That's how it was. But now I'm sitting with the guy who wrote the code and is giving me the full system and saying, you can do it yourself and go teach others how to do it. I'm like, what? And he's, it, by the way, it's not a small farm. He was making over $100,000 a year on farming. So it's not a small Substantial. institution, right? And he's 
just showing me what tools he was using, what kind of crops he was rotating, where he was selling, how he was selling, who was selling it to, all those things right there. And I remember sitting in that class with him and his wife was there, his daughter was there. There's, there's a family connection. His brother-in-law was helping in the kitchen. And, and then we met wow. with a guy called Roger who's doing tomatoes. He's like an old grandfather kind of guy. And it's just a whole family. I'm like, what? And it's in the pace of life was it was in the pace of nature. They were in, and then winter, they would scale back their production because they made enough money. And then the winter time became a, it is now a cash crop where they're doing microgreens. So wow. it wasn't as much I would say it was, it, it was a directive to, to create in, uh, income and, and profit. The pace wasn't as cutthroat as it was in the space I came from in tech. You're pulling extra hours. You're working, you're whatever. Oh, man. You're, I remember by burning yourself. so bad. It just, man, there were days just didn't real, sleep. So when I felt and I learned all of that and I came back into Toronto, I got a space of 7,500 square feet, just not too far from my house. I didn't even think of my own backyard. I didn't even think of other farmers. I was still in that tech head. Uh, We're going to talk about everything. our backyard when this is over. Uh, sure, we can talk. We'll jump into that because that's that's the bread and butter. And actually, it's the human connection. That's actually one of the most important pieces. So don't let, let me lose that thought. It's, it's backyards are very, very vital. But let me, let me just finish this one. So 7,500 so square, 7, square feet. Yeah, and the idea again was market gardening, meaning I'm growing to go sell. Okay. And I started a farmer's market of my own and I invited some other farmers to come out. And where it, the, the, when the rubber meets the road, so you're planting, you're growing, you're packing, you're cleaning, you're taking to market, all that stuff. It's real, it's legit, it was hard work, but I loved every moment of it. I remember standing in the rain harvesting tomatoes <laughs> and the owner of the land came in and said, Jesse, it's raining. And I had no clue it was raining. I had no frame oh, of wow. reference. I was just there with the tomatoes I'm eating. I'm just like, this is the most amazing thing I'm doing right now. I was in my own little world. And that's what happens. And even to this day, when I'm in the land, good luck catching my attention. You need to literally tap me. I'm gone. But anyway, so we started a farmer's market, started doing all this stuff. And the biggest lesson started coming to me. So a friend of mine told me, Jesse, food is political. And that statement took a while to sink in. It took a while to actually acknowledge and understand. And actually, that flavor of it was not, I could not understand. It's like drinking fine wine if you don't know what fine wine or cognac, like what the heck is it? Sure. It's too, whatever, right? So it took to actually calibrate with my palate. But during that farmer's market pace is when I started seeing food is not equal. There are some who can afford it and some who cannot. Those who yeah. can afford it have access to a lot and those who can't afford it have access to less. I started questioning, why, how, what happened? And the more I journeyed into it, that, that first, this was just year one, by the way. At the market, I'm here with my produce. I'm excited. I got all this. I got the carrots. I got the beets. I got the, so it was, it was awesome, man. I looked good. But everybody coming in, it was more like, Jesse, I can't afford this stuff. I can find it cheaper at name a grocery store. I can find it cheaper yes. at another grocery That's store. always the Ooh. argument when you're trying to get better quality product. But I think you've been working over. How do you that. fight that? How do you even fight that? You still, I can buy garlic for a dollar that's from China. My, my one, one garlic of mine is like close to $3. So I can't compete. Yeah. And I was really struck with that thinking, I can't compete in this space. But the weirdest thing happened. I thought, you know what? I'm going to do something crazy. Anybody who asks me about price, say I can get the kale cheaper, beets, whatever, carrot, I would give them the produce for free. Take it home. You go try it. Next okay, that's bold. That is really bold, buddy. 
dude, you, man. So Michael Abelman, the guy I mentioned before, Soul Food Farms, I met him for dinner one day in Toronto, a phenomenal encounter. He said, he told me this, we need crazy people in this space and you have the crazy spirit to do it. Wow. So I had to channel my crazy to bring out this idea of giving away food for free. <laughs> Terrible business idea. <laughs> at that point. But what was interesting is when these people who I gave the kale and the beets or whatever carrots to them say, you go try it and come back and that's whatever. When they came back, the conversation completely changed from how much is this to how much can I get for? Because Holy. this tastes more like, this tastes exactly should, this, should, this is how tomatoes, it doesn't taste like water. It, and else I'm using less ingredients to make meal. For example, cilantro, oh, by the way, which it's a, 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 a side note, cilantro for me cuts the human population in half. There's cilantro lovers on one side and cilantro haters. You will I not like find cilantro. out somebody in between. My son says it tastes but you like try. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's something about it, but that's a discussion for another day, but it was so comical. But anyway, that was one of those things where when I gave people cilantro and even when they bought my cilantro, they were saying they, they were using less of it to get the flavor they wanted than cool. the one they were buying at whatever grocery stores they were, they were, they were targeting or, or accessing it from. <coughs> Excuse me. And this started becoming the... The theme of now in, in, in Christian years, we say taste and see that the Lord is good. But this was taste and actually see the difference. And yes. you can, unless you understand the taste, unless you calibrate that taste, it will not make sense to you. And hence why you can simply buy garlic from China and be okay. But once you taste Ontario garlic, which we have a lot of, by the way, yeah. there are many growers who, who do phenomenal garlic in, and, in and Ontario. You know that I ride, and when I'm riding, I'm actually seeing more and more signs when I'm out in my big, long road rides, that is. I'm seeing more natural, organic, or garlic signs on the ends of people's roads because I, I do ride I'm the country, of course. You, I challenge anyone who's never done it, never tried it, go find it. Even just find it on the internet. Search for Ontario garlic. There. These people are there. And... I'm telling you, everyone that has done my, even my community that are here, people come at my door to ask me when I'm harvesting my garden, when it's <laughs> ready. They know. Because once they've tried it, it's nothing else. So anyway, yeah. so that's what actually started the market box. This became the farm share model where instead of coming to buy single units, you're coming to buy a, a collection at, at, a, at a price. So, excuse me, at $25 is what we started off with. And you can come get a market box which had all the uh, things that you, you can choose yourself from. When you come to the market, you get the market table, you can choose whatever you want, get in the box, and that's where you go. Okay. And we started doing the market box. And the coming second year, growing season, we actually lost the 700 square feet of, of growing space. Oh. So we had no growing space. And oh, hence man. the story that I said before, of we had to get a greenhouse and start growing. And then one of my friends who became my close, close friend, Hannah Hunter. And if you get, please, please search her up. Uh, she's Hunter Farm Agricola, Agricola, out in Quebec. Agricola as in, as in it's easy to spell out. But it's, Hunter, okay. Fin, these guys are amazing. So Hannah was the person who helped me reset and slowly turn my brain from the entrepreneurial tech, let's do everything by myself all at once to go with the speed of nature, slow down. You can't chase a character to grow, nor can you chase a B2B. 
just follow its timeline. You know when it's going to be right. Just make sure the soil is right. Make sure its environment is right. Just that is your job. Right. You're like you said very well. We are just stewards, right? We're not owners, right? I, I can't own land because land was here before I was, and it would be here <laughs> after I'm done with my timeline. It will outlive my kids, my great grandkids. You name it, it will outlive them. Absolutely agree. But if we think as stewards, it's a it's a it's a incremental growth of that property and, and land and uh, <laughs> excuse me, nutrition and, and fertilize, fertilization of that. But anyway, when Hannah was teaching me this stuff in tech, you, like you said before, you it's a goal. You check it at nine o'clock, and if you check it at five, man, you're a quitter, man. Push until seven, then you yeah. do it in like yeah. And when you get home, do it again. Do it. <laughs> and if you're home, you're still with your phone and all that stuff. So here. When we were working, it's it's don't get me wrong, it's hard work. You're telling, you're moving, you're you're lifting. It's it's body hard work. But what I learned was it's hard work, but it's good heart work. Nice. Because when I came home, good heart dude, work. Dude, I was in I was at peace. I could look at my family and say, Hey, I'm exhausted, but I'm happy, man. There's a sense of gratitude. Because when I looked back, I saw the work that I did. I saw the velocity of things that we put together and the expectation of looking forward to the harvest that could be coming in and the harvest we could be doing tomorrow and yesterday. You know what I mean? Yes. That was fuel. And I found that to be so fulfilling in my own journey into farming. I don't, I don't want to lose that flavor ever. Just stay in it. Love that timeline <laughs> and pace. So... That's what got me going. And we did lose the land for the second year. But at the same time, like we got a greenhouse. My, I realized I have a backyard. And that's when the backyard gardening started. I'm like, oh, Curtis Stone taught me how to urban farm in backyards. Hey, I got one. Yeah, I got and this grass out here. We should just do something with it. <laughs> and we started off immediately. And then Hannah Hunter, my friend, she, she invited me to, to a conversation with a member farmer program at, uh, not too far from Miami, a place called Downsby Park. And they were having an urban farm, almost, I would say, close to an acre of urban farm. It's not a big one, close to okay. that. And they invited me to take on that little space there, to farm there. I'm like, what? And all the members sat together. They don't know who I am. And they sent me the next message was, Jesse, the members agree. You can join us. And oh, these wow. are people who've been farming way longer than I want. Have. And I, this comes back to what I said before. The, the, the thinking isn't on a competitive stance. So when you think of in a tech space, any other person building something similar to you than you are doing, they become a competitive stage. Yeah. You're not on a competitive stage. And whatever they do, you're not one up them and two up them or whatever. Right. It's not what this was. They, there's so much to do and only you participating, you're adding value because you're there. So it's you're different. okay just being there. As a human Hearing that, it's not because you have deep pockets or have a family background or color or race or whatever. That doesn't matter. Your presence, your humanity presence, to be a steward of that space is all that's needed. Yes. Right? Actually, and that is what's, yeah. You, you really, that's something I want to hit right now since you brought it up. Gardens, growing, food. It doesn't color what it doesn't care what color, race, creed, religion, ethnicity, background, history, successful tech guy, failure all at heart, drug addict. It doesn't matter. The plants that you love will love you back, and nobody cares. Let's go help somebody. My friend told me easily, he's like Jesse, everybody eats. Yes. Don't care who you are. 
if you're in jail or in custody, it doesn't matter where you are, you will eat. And for some odd reason, that whole journey of that, whatever you're going to be eating, started with a guy holding that seed in their hand and stewarding it in England. Beautiful. Beautifully said. Right? Absolutely. So it, it really just captures the fact that we're in, underneath all the facade and, and chaotic pictures of what we see ourselves, the humanity is all that's needed to grow. That's all. That's, if there ever was a resume, that's it. If you have <laughs> a presence grow. of mind to be human, you can grow. And so I have friends who are telling me, I don't have, I'm not a green thumb guy or whatever. I did, I did not grow a thing ever. And I switched in one time and just fought my mind to just be present. And it's just crazy, that but did it. journey became truth. And, it's, and it's, I'm saying this to simplify it, saying, I have friends who come and say, Jesse, I kill plants. No, I'm saying, no, no, you don't kill plants. We just love them too much. You know how we love our plants? Water, water. Mm. We just keep, that's overloving and you kill them. It's like me chocolate don't and ice cream. If I eat enough of it, <laughs> well, I got a problem. And, and the thing is, when you actually understand your job is to nurture soil fertility. That's it. There's nothing more yes. to it. Plants are actually a uh, derivative of good soil, Right. Okay. All those things like the good beets and good whatever fruits, those are just a derivative of good soil. So once I recalibrated to just sink and, and just be that low and look at the soil and love the soil and understand it better, I'm not fully through yet. There are friends of mine who can, they understand soil in, in, in high scientific, man, almost explain PhD level, far ahead microscopic understanding of yeah. soil. You don't need to be that deep, but simply understanding what soil needs, what it is it telling you. <laughs> what is it performing? How is it performing? And yes. just nurturing it, it was phenomenal. Curtis, for example, was teaching how you can take a backyard and switch it into growing space. Now, first thing we were doing was bring a tiller, rip it to shreds, and plant. But the ideology was changed from, because that's how it was taught. You When you want to grow, you dig it up. But the... Understanding now with it's now called the no-till method. The no-till method just asks you, don't disturb the soil. Okay. Right? Let what has been going there continue. So they, there's, there's a fungal network, which is, by the way, if your listeners ever want to see something amazing and shocking, and if you have time, I'll t- remind me, I'll, pay, I'll tell you a story about it. If you have time, I can tell you a story about this. Yeah, I, we always do. We'll make time for good okay, stuff. Okay, dude. Okay, this is something that blew my mind. And this is a true story. So we were, first year farming, I had these amazing tomatoes, okay? It was, like I said, that tomato I was, I was harvesting in the The rain. ones that I you want to just eat straight up like an apple. I do, by the way. I don't, summertime, I don't eat much. But anyway, so I was there and there was something that started off. It looked like a brown, it was brown on the leaves mm-hmm. and then started browning on the stems. And then my tomatoes started rotting from inside out. Okay, and it from that. one side one side of the plot. And it's nothing I did. I'm looking at them like, what is going on? And within a short time, all my tomato plants were brown and dead. All of them. My whole thing was dead. I'm just, and, and my, one of my friends who's a neighbor is Italian and she's been farming way more than I can think. She said, we've had the wrong rain. What are you talking about? I've heard, is it. I've heard that. I just can't, don't understand it. Can't compute. Don't understand. So 
that year, I got invited to go to the Ecological Farmers Association conference. And this guy was doing a talk about his organic farm. No tail, by the way. Organic okay. farm. And all, all my friends were like, you got to go to this. You got to sit in this room to listen to him. Wow. And we, it was standing room only. Man. It, was, it was packed. And before he started, he said, hey, I just want to talk about blight. And that's when I knew what killed my tomatoes was blight. It's a fungal infection. I've heard that once it starts, it decimates. It has no mercy. It will decimate literally all the crops, almost the crops that they, the tomatoes you have. And he said, "Which of you? How many of you had blight? Show of hands. Boom. We were like, I would say, ninety-eight percent, ninety-nine percent of the whole room was affected by blight. Wow. And he said, we were not. And all of us like, what did you? So immediately you think, okay, pesticidal usage. You you took out some plants. Some protective measures. And then you went on this talk about the mycelium network, the fungal network. Okay, yeah. And the way he put it was this. So underneath the soil, the roots have this, are connected, are tapped into this information highway. And they can ask for nutrients whenever they need it for, maybe it's for more fruit, so they need more sugars and all this other stuff. They can call these nutrients on in the soil. And the network will create this nutrient for them that the roots can uptake and use it for whatever need they have. Hmm. So there's an exchange, there's a conversation happening in the roots. Hence when they say no till, don't disturb it because you mess up that connective uh, space. So when he was explaining that, he said this, they did have blight, but the blight started from one corner of the farm. But what happened was because they had worked really hard for years to keep the mycelium network strong, the tomatoes communicated, hey, guys, we're under attack from one corner. What do we need to protect ourselves? And the mycelium network went around and said, what the, what, these guys need this nutrient, this thing, and all this. I can't speak the science of it. Yep. But they, they received they, would be, they received all the nutrients they needed to stop the blight from impacting anything else. Unbelievable. Nature, dude, nothing to do about us. It worked by itself. And this is, you can read about this. I'm, I hope I'm not uh, destroying that. Uh, no, this is this is fascinating to me. And if it's fascinating and I hope to people me, can read up on it. Please, I everyone. challenge anyone, read up on it. Read up on the mycelium network. It is unbelievable how powerful it is. And so when you see all this, destructive agriculture coming in when you're tilling and tilling and tilling. It, 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 and what happens is, one, when we start tilling, when I started tilling myself, which I did in my backyard, we started, we started getting more weeds. And we're like, I didn't plant these weeds. Where are they coming from? They're like more and more and more intrusive. They overtook my carrots. They, I couldn't ah. even keep up with them. And when we start, we switched out the no-till method, which simply is, when you're harvesting root crop, of course, root crop, you pull out carrots and all that stuff. But again, advantages of carrots, they're breaking down the soil for it to be stronger in its uh, pushing, bringing air. Except my carrots are like short. They didn't get big this year. I can help you. I can help you. (laughs) I know you can. My carrots are like uh, a big, again, they're different varieties, right? Of carrots. Some are small, some are big. But what we learned was we rotate from top crop, which is all the leafy greens and underneath is root crop. So that's what we did our rotation. So if the plant beets and I harvest beets, what we did was, I didn't plant on that. What I did was, 
I added a layer of compost on top of that bed, which I should explain what a bed is. A bed is uh, uh, instead of planting on a huge swath of land, we divide it into beds. So our bed sizes are three feet by 50 feet with a foot spacing in between. Wow. We we have about over 100 of them. And are they just organic matter beds or are they boxed up beds? Organic matter beds. They're not boxed. They're they're called raised beds. We don't have them in the, they don't have wood on the sides. I just want to paint that picture for the audience. That's all. Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's important. And so what we do now is if I harvest the beets, I put a layer of compost on top of that with any amendments that I need. So beets are very, and the crops are very heavy feeders. So I make sure the soil is always replenishing what it's taken out. So I watch my, my, um, my nitrogen con, I watch those things. I use things like chicken palate manure, uh, and slow releasing nitrogen. So I use that consistently in every harvest that we do, but just keep track and not choose too much. And we plant on top of that. So if you think about it in okay. time, and we practice high-intensive farming, so every harvest, a bed is reset, compost is added, amendments are added, we plant on top of that. So you're adding layer, 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 layer on top of that bed. And as soil will do, it always sinks down. It always sets in. Right. right? It, 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 it settles in the space that, that it is. And because we've done that for years, for quite a while, five years in now, when it rains, we don't water for a month. Wow. Because all that soil has done, it now holds the water, right? When we have torrential downpour, I don't have floods in, that, in, in the gardens we have. We don't, I don't panic when it, when it rains for like, when you hear it's torrential downpour, right? I'm actually happy because I'm capturing rainwater. That's a different story. But I don't mind that torrential downpour because it's soil again, it breathes and soaks up all this soil, all yes. this water and holds it. So every time we are planting, of course, you plant the seedlings with water, make sure they, they're there, it's wet. But if you dig down, you can actually feel how wet it is, right? And, and so that practice really helped us to retain soil integrity. And what we do also, in fact, I'm going to talk about this in, in another conversation. And the idea is we never leave the soil bare. Okay. It's always covered. If I'm not able to plant and I've just harvested, I'd reset the bed as I should put the compost, amendments, everything, but I cover it. I have a tarp that I cover the bed. Or sometimes maybe an arugula bed and you cut all the leaves out and it's spent. It's becoming more and more and more spicy. Mm-hmm. And we, we, so what we do is we cover it with plastic and give it a week. You open it, it's pure soil. Wow. So all the That's nutrients, all of the arugula has gone back in the soil, right? So all the nutrients was taken up, now it's gone back. We don't rip that out. We add compost on top of that. The amendments, we make sure that the bed is, so we use what's called a tilther. A tilther is only tool that we use that <clears throat> it doesn't dig. It just mixes the amendments on and the compost together. So we have an even flow. Is that a hand thing or is that a machine? Bed. It is a hand thing. Uh, you can Google, you can actually search it online. You could find it. It's T-I-L-T, uh, T-I-L-T-H-E-R, tilther. Okay. Uh, it's a simple device which runs on a cordless drill, by the way. <laughs> and it works amazing. It's a simple tool, but it helps us just make sure the bed is nice and soft. So when you're running a, a seed or having clumps of soil in it, right. so it just helps you with the speed that we grow and with the, again, the intensity that we do. But anyway, so when you're planting your carrots next round, your carrots don't go down that deep. 
Because remember, you've added how much layers of compost, so you know how many you know, the depth is here. Okay. Don't forget the original soil is down there, yep. but that that's not really compression, but that's settling is all the worms, the mycelium network, the root structures, they break that soil down. So you could have the most compacted cotton soil become porous in time. And don't forget that the side paths that we use, we, we always add wood chips on it, spent wood chips. This is old wood chips, okay. not new wood chips. We put as much wood chips in the side continually. And like I said, don't. And at the end of the season, you have two options. You can do what's called cover cropping, which is important. Cover cropping is, again, these are crops which, like rye, winter rye is a good example. They retain the soil integrity with their deep roots and also cover the, 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 the canopies, protect the soil okay. from winter snow. And snow, when it comes in, by the way, what snow winter is actually one of the uh, biggest, most silent events that we, we have in North America. That's, this is when the, the mycelium network is most active. Oh, wow. Because if you think about it, all the branches are down, all the leaves are down, and now you have covered of uh, the cover of snow. It's a happening space down there, man. Things are, things are going, things are working to our advantage, right? So that's why when you, when you see, and I, I keep asking about conventional farming, and I don't want to speak too much into it because it's a different, the economy of scale is not the same as ours because for them, they have a different methodology of how they interact with the soil. We, we don't have, we can't calibrate with each other because the machinery, the tilling, and, and then the use of pesticidal content is, it, for us, I can't use that method because I find it degrades and doesn't allow my mycelium, my network to be strong enough to produce more food. But to them, they have a different goal and, and method. So to each their own. Some people can work it, some people can't. Right. I find our method to work really well. And even just it's, I'm working in the, with the pace of nature and I have little recourse of the produce I give to my, my farm share members because I know it's good food. I don't, I'm not worried about the pesticide right. or anything that will be affecting their life because it will be used something that could be a problem. And, so and that Jesse, gives me peace. I want to yes. pull in something here because that's a good point and a good segue is we've talked a lot about the farming aspects and how you guys treat the food and how we should all think of food. You know, I studied nutrition. Yeah. I went from nutrition and fitness to tech and now I'm going back to a little bit of helping others and a little bit of farming. But, you know, one of the quotes in Edison Institute, Edison Institute of Nutrition, where I was studying, the quote yeah. in the very front of the book was, the foods of the past will be the medicines of the future. Like, that's, that's Ooh, awesome. That's so I've always held that in my heart, in my mm. head. But so talking about the food is great. Talking about growing is great. I want to touch on the market model. I want to touch on what Zawadi Farms is doing because you've got some stuff mm. going on. I mean... You tell me about showing up with a truck and you can't even unpack it and it's empty and sold to places that actually yeah. have free food right beside you. And, and then even yeah. working with schools, you're, you're looking at schools and you've got a vision yeah. for large properties to help the schools to feed others, train others and to pass it on. Yeah. Wow. That's like I said, in the beginning, when I said food was political and there was those who can, those who can't afford, I partnered with this organization called Food Share Toronto and look about phenomenon. Amazing people that work there. I love them to death. And we worked together and they helped me start a community market at a Toronto community housing building. Okay. That looks like my 
And the second crazy idea was, okay, Jesse, what if we do this? We will sell produce at cost, basically what it cost us to grow it and do it. And we'll just do that. And we'll sell it at that price to whoever can afford it. But we'll take whatever money we've made there and subsidize it to a community that can't receive it. So I called Fusion and said, Apple's great, crazy idea. Do, cool. How can we work together? So I, I got things that I couldn't have access to, things like avocado and oranges and bananas. I can't buy those. Right. So I bought those from them to add on to what I was bringing to the, to the community. And I would set up a table and unload my beets and my carrots and all that stuff and put in their kale, uh, sorry, they, the, the other fruits that I could not have access to. And the community was like, dude, this is awesome. <laughs> and, but before I jump onto there, backstory was I was going to visit Rufusha. I went to a friend of mine, she lives in the building. Her name is Charmaine. Phenomenal lady. Oh my goodness, she's so cool. She's Jesse, do not bring the food here for free. In my head, I'm thinking, that's not what I think about. But tell me more. That's intriguing. Yeah. And she said, and she brought the word dignity to me. Okay. And I thought, this is strange. Dignity. I've never felt the word. Like I've, I've heard it, but I've never felt it. So when I said, okay, tell me about that. So she said, when you bring in food for free, there isn't a connection of you, wow. the giver, to the receiver. There isn't any you giving away. This, the way she put it just made me feel the word dignity because I have a right. I have, I have, a, I have a, a space at the table to have this conversation with mm-hmm. you. Yep. And that, I felt that. So when we brought food, I went and said, whatever price that is at the, any, the cheapest grocery store, we are undermining that. We're not here yeah. for profit. I remember, and I, I brought my daughter there. My son was running the market. He, they were helping me unpacking and Love everything. It. Family were from the deal. And as we're doing that, my son said, Dad, we've made profit. I'm like, what? How much? $8. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> because that's not the mode. That was not the reason. But we sold out everything. Everything was gone. All gone. And it became such a, a prominent space until COVID came in and we couldn't go in anymore. Right. But there were times I would go and I would unload and before i've even finished unloading i'm empty it's also that because then and that there was one piece well, actually it, it man it was such a beautiful time one 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 grandma came down and she said i want to buy this and the money she had on hand and by the way she's counting coins she's mm. shoot i'm short i'm short some pennies in my head i'm thinking it's, i don't care my son is like dude don't even ask her give it we, we know where we're coming from but i said yeah don't worry about it. but she says no son I will pay you. And she had me walk with her because I, I have to take a produce to her apartment. Had me sit down <laughs> as she searched for these pennies to make sure she paid it for. What a wonderful woman. So do you understand? Just that dignity, that's deep. To me, that was, I need to create, that was fuel for me to understand that I need to create an economy that perpetuates dignity. That you don't feel as if you don't fit because you don't have. Yes. It doesn't matter if you have, you fit in with what you have, with who you are. So we started doing that market continually. It was a lot of fun. We, was, we had a great time. But again, when COVID came, we couldn't continue it. But again, our communication and, and, and contact with FoodShare is still very strong. So whatever produce we have, we still subsidize it back to, to them. And it really has been a great journey. And, and but again, that made it, you pivot a yeah. little bit too, right? I mean... 
you didn't just quit and give well, up because it, you couldn't walk into a building. Oh, no. We, this, as my, my friends know, I'm not the guy to say I got beat. I'm not. I will be. If you're beating me, I am taking notes. <laughs> Everywhere that punch came, what speed, what corner you hit me, I got you. I read you. I understand you. Next time, we'll not, be, we'll not have that same. We might be talking more than fighting. Yeah. But I understand how it took me five years to understand how food is political, but I get it now. Wow. I understand it. It makes sense to me. And so that is how we've now, I don't want to use the word pivoting because people just seems we're moving sideways and away from it. No, yeah. no, we're targeting it head on. Yeah. We're coming to this head on. So we are in the midst of, of creating an off-for-profit organization. Just the battle plan push. to do the not-for-profit. Oh, literally. We are on it. We're here. We're here to play. And we are going to take food where it will create dignity conversations. Okay. Right? And my member, my farm share members, the ones who are paying for my produce know that the money I'm making from them is what's fueling this. I'm not, I've not called investors. I've not taken any loans. It's literally whatever my farm share members give us is what's going into this setup. In that same volume, we created a microgreens operation to help us grow over the winter season. And it's the same story. You give us money, I'll help grow this. But in the background, you're fueling that. Huge. And once the not-for-profit kicks in, dude, you you will see a lot of them. I'm just being quiet right now. And you're the first person I'm, I'm telling this live. I've not shared with anybody, even on my Instagram or any of social media. We just let it out of the bag. Not it. <laughs> but it needs to be said, we are coming at this full-fledged. We are giving it, when they say full throttle, we are here. And the context is we're not, okay, so this one, the challenge comes sometimes. Jesse, what are you doing for profit? What are you doing to grow the business? How are you going to yes. grow it so that you can do more? So that's a big question. I want to address that clearly. So I want to speak slowly when I get this right. So I do it right. So for Zawadi to grow, for me to say Zawadi to be the biggest, baddest urban farm in the world, I will do no justice to what I was taught, not just by the mentors that I'm here, but even by the land stewards that, I'm, that I've met and learned from. I'm not doing it justice. So the context is this. We have partnered with an organization in Toronto called Homestead Toronto. And the idea is we've started a five-year urban farming incubation program. Awesome. Now, I want to slow down so I get it right. I want to just make sure I capture it completely. So the first two years you're coming in, say you don't have a green thumb, never found a day in your life, or you have, doesn't matter. You spend time with my friend Derek at Homestead Toronto, and he will teach you the fundamentals of what I am using in the scale that I am. Okay. So first year is pure, simple education and understanding what it is. The second year, you'll be given land, 500 square feet for you to actually grow and try out what it is that he told you and what it is that Jesse is doing. You'll be trying out for yourself there. Wow. Second year. Third year, you will now come to work for Zawadi Farm. So we'll now give you a backyard to manage yourself. Love it. So instead of the 500 square feet, you get a full-fledged backyard, right? But the difference here, though, because it's now, you're, you're, this, whatever you're growing is going to people who've paid for it. So there's, a, there's an economy in play. So that space for us, for you actually, who's learning, is you'll be using our crop plan. So you'll be still in that incubation stage of understanding what am I doing, how am I growing, what's my capacity, did I understand it right, all that stuff. But we're working closely with you in that third year. Fourth year, you're on your own. And on your own means you stay at the same backyard, but you've been studying for three years now. 
you must have captured something in the fourth round, right? This is now the truth saying stage. You know? Do you understand fully how to be a steward of the land and the crops that are there? Right. And if you are good with that fifth year, you can now choose to have 10, 15, 40. I don't care how many buckets you can handle. It doesn't have to be that big. 10 is the max we can manage to maximum. So if you can handle that, then now you join the Zawadi Farm Cooperative. Okay. And the Zawadi Farm Cooperative is the notion that it's, it's based on this simple premise. We as farmers don't compete with each other because we have a lot of drone to feed. Instead, yes. remember that crop planning I keep talking more and more about? Kidding it up? Instead of crop planning by yourself, you know, crop planning with other farmers around you. And this could be your past students classmates, whatever, how right. that journey was. But now instead of competing with each other, you're working with each other. So for example, if you're growing carrots or even growing kale, I don't need to grow kale. I don't need to grow carrots. Okay. I am going to grow beets. I'm going to grow onions. I'm going to grow peppers. Because as a cooperative collective, we have a bigger trying to feed. And that's what the farm is actually doing. We're trying to, to, uh, to reset that competitive stance into a collaborative space. So when farmers come together and grow food together, now one, you've increased diversity, right? You've, you, you can cater to Afrocentric content, you can cater to Asian-centric, whatever crops that can manage to grow in our climate, we have room to So I'm the white so Irish Canadian kid. Are you going to tell me I have to grow potatoes? You don't have to grow <laughs> potatoes, but you have access to potatoes grown in Toronto, I can tell you that. Good growing, fresh, organic potatoes, dude. You got those awesome. coming. Awesome. And, and, and I have a brother, actually, a friend of mine who's Isaiah, or he's, he's a potato farmer. And my goodness, so he best potatoes you ever, okay, ever get. Good. Because I'll get his potatoes and I'll grow some greens. But that's what I'm saying. So think about this, Patrick. So if we're in a situation where we're all collaborating together, Right in a cooperative cooperative stance, I think we have a better chance of feeding Toronto yeah. than Jesse trying to feed Toronto by himself by trying to becoming Zawadi Bay. Good luck you know with saying? that, buddy. Um, Good luck with that picture. But we now are equipping farmers. So our job with enough for profit is to look at Zawadi Farm as a template. Yeah. Right? Okay. Look at what they've done in the five years. They've actually we've run through those five years. I just told you. That's part, that's exactly the course. We've ran through the whole thing. And this now, this year, we are now cooperating with other three, of three farms are building a cooperative uh, opportunity with to feed way more than we can right. together. And that to me is a proof that this model works really right. well. And over and above that, it creates a resilient economy, right? Food shortage will not be something that we converse at the grocery aisle. I love you that. Know what I'm You'll be calling your farmer, dude, how's the kale coming? The land is still there and the kale <laughs> is still coming up. You know what I mean? We still are growing. In fact, we, thanks to you, we're growing more now. Do you know what I'm saying? Interactive conversation with who your grower is. I actually right? Because they're so vision. disconnected is where the issue becomes. Sorry. I have a weird vision of Zawadi Farms. I know you're not going to have the biggest farm in one plot of land. I do believe, I was thinking about this the other day, because, you know, I've been thinking about Zawadi quite a bit. Unfortunately, it's consuming me in my conversations. <laughs> I but, love it. Um, One more. I actually have this weird vision that Zawadi will be the biggest farm in Canada, but not by yourself. With every single rooftop hey, if and it every can backyard. Be, buddy, the, the, imagine my vision is this. I want Toronto 
anyone in the city, not just Toronto, but I take sure. it back, not just my city, which is, I say Toronto because it's, I love the city. It's, <laughs> it's not just that, Burlington, Oakville, doesn't matter, wherever you are. If you go to any grocery store, you can see that's potato from Scarborough. That's, that's, that's okra from Brampton. Those are peppers from Etobicoke. Like they're here. Do you know what I mean? They're grown here. They're, they're yes. qualified and grown, certified locally. We should really be doing you know more of that. It's amazing. Why can't we, by the, don't get me wrong. Like I said, I'm coming full fledged and head on to, to solve this, but this is what my vision is to int- even go to, this is a fun, I, I interrupt the chef Andre. Phenomenal guy. Oh my gosh. He's a Toronto Blonde Tennis Club. He's, oh man, he's awesome. So he, we bring, we, we collaborate with him. We ship, we, we, he buys produce from us. And he will tell you, if you ask a chef, where are you getting your stuff from? They want to tell you because they want you to enjoy the journey of the meal. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So there's that, they, to them, they understand what meal food is. So having that connection, ask that chef, dude, where'd you get the potatoes from? Where'd you get these onions? It's great. Kudos to the chef. Great. Where'd you guys source that from? And my because best you meals can do have come from home. those guys, you know, from the chefs that are cooking, the guys and girls, I should say. But the ones that are saying, we only get our stuff within 30 kilometers of here. It's from this farm and this farm and this farm. And Jesse, you're the one that told me. You said, Pat, you should know five farms within your area personally, <laughs> not five grocery stores. And I'm like, yeah. Okay, hang on. Let's play that. That's a, a thank you for being that. Say this, to your listeners, this is something I use to just help you recalibrate how disconnected we are. Yeah, so I, I, I got to work on this when more. I, when I, it's okay. I'll, I'll paint it. Let me see if I can do justice. But so I go do talks at schools and all that. So I was there and I asked the kids, name me five fast food restaurants. They were falling over each other, just brother that, right? And I said, name me five grocery stores. They were, they struggled a little bit with the shoppers drop kind of sneaks in there. I'm like, yeah, they must have, but it's okay. I'll put it in the list. And they struggled. They actually struggled to get to the five. And then I say, tell me a local farm that you can go grab produce from. Yeah, one. Not even sometimes the good ones are one, but few can say one place. And that to me is a problem we're facing is we're so disconnected from who's bringing and who's growing our food that we don't understand this conversation. I can name one, by the way, Jesse's backyard. Name me one. Jesse's backyard. You got it. You got it. Thanks for the advertising. But my point is that to me is where the conversation side pivoting to I need to make this understandable. So this is what actually happened. Um, so I told you my son helps with with the yes. farmer's market. His teacher heard about it. Uh, and she said, oh, I got we come help you set up the market. Oh, uh, yeah. Why not? Like a school day. Uh, yeah, please do. So they, they bust in. They walked in the whole class. And to the community market, by the way, this is not the, the, the farmer's market. This is the community market at the Toronto Community Housing Building. Okay. These young kids... Are there like boxes of produce, customers waiting, it's all there. And I want to go help them. And this teacher, she's a friend. She's such a cool person. She held my hand and and pulled me back and said, don't move. Because I was going to tell them, okay, kids, you need to do this, you need to do that. In the package, you need to unload, you need to. She said, don't move. And the kids are looking at the boxes. And I'm I'm sweaty. I'm like, dude, market time, man. We got to get ready for, you know, we just got to sit up. And she said, don't move, don't say anything. And she, she was giving me that look of, with, with her, my hand in her hand, don't move. I will kill you and if you help I them. I stood there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And if you know her, that's pretty much what's her face. But you know what's cool? This was really amazing. One kid said, guys, I got it. We're gonna have we're gonna have some people take out the pro, the the fruits on one side, and the other one got to get the vegetables on one side. Another one said, "Oh, that's a great idea. In fact, when you bring them out, I have the sheet that has all the produce because we have we have the purchase sheet." She said, "Tell me the quantity of everything that's there." Pat, they made a whole market happen with zero of my help. Wow, zero of my help, and it was. Beautiful. I was emotional. I was mad at myself. I was angry that I think I could do it all, and that's what I think way to undo ourselves is yeah. our knowledge that we have. We treat it as if I need to protect it because we come from that world. I want to protect it, and I want to show my value by showing everybody else how good I am doing it. Instead of what these kids did was, I get it. We need to so that we can. Right. Do you follow? Yep, yep. So that to me is where this whole engine started, and it didn't stop there. They took that market model and went to us to their school, and I all the only job I had was to bring produce <laughs> to them. But they had gone home, talked, told their parents to to give them money, number one, oh. and a and a grocery list. Those kids went to school to grocery shop to bring groceries home to teach the family how what to eat that day. Impacting others without doing a thing. This is awesome. This is what good God-given I'm green earth can you, do for we us. We are missing out. We are missing out on such a little tiny thing, but monumental. Wow. Because that word that we use when you say I'm a steward, I'm also a steward of this knowledge. Mm -hmm. And it, it will be terrible of me to try to protect it so that I can make Zawadi farm big. Yes. I can't use it because I've seen it working with me doing nothing and it does and it fed. That community was fed. Those kids at the school bought groceries. They did it without me preaching to them how it's done. They saw how it's done and figured how, how to do it better. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's what's going to happen is people will learn from each other and then they'll step it up and make it better. It does that in every industry and I, I like that. Um, yeah, and that's the thing. When you're coming, I want it when you're flying in the city. If you're strange in the city, I, oh. I want this to be such a boring story that, yeah, that's how we. This is where we get our potatoes from. Yeah, that's this farm over there. Yeah, there's Niagara. All the peaches come to Toronto from there or yes. Etobicoke or whatever. Our apples, we have trees of apples. All the rooftops are apiaries. We got honey from here. Oh, but some rooftops have just me. simple. It does. That you know, like like I was sharing this crazy idea. Why do we have empty? gas stations with empty rooftops. It could be flower farms, perennials, flower, annuals actually, flower farms that bees would love to have to get. That's a pollen Absolutely. farm right there. Do you know what I mean? Why can't we do that? There's huge Amazon warehouses with acres and acres of rooftop. They could house trees on them. It, uh, they could house apple trees, fruit trees. Yeah, we just need to think you know, differently about that space. We need to think different. We need to approach this space in a sense whereby it's a city-wide win. And we done, we, like I said, I've, I've taken five years to really study this and understand it. So Ryerson rooftop farms have proven that you can't nice. actually have a legit urban farm on a rooftop. My friend Arlene has done a phenomenal job and it's telling you it's if your listeners please search it Ryerson rooftop phenomenal farm it's the size of my urban farm in the city like I'm doing 
on a roof. <laughs> and the produce is like, whoa, so good. So they good. have proven. So there isn't a, and, and not to say that it's, that's the end. We're still researching how best, right. how better. So we're, we're just asking anyone who's building a condo, building a, whatever it is, warehouses, talk to us. Allow right. us to connect us back to food. This is the big conversation that we need to put back on the table. And when we have these opportunities, it just causes resilience. When we have, and don't forget, you have to reset, so I call it, all the waters that come out are cleaner. All the rain that comes right. in, it's health. We don't have, we don't have issues with, with major flooding or flood zones. We have farms and gardens that sequestered hold all that water for plants to grow. You know what I mean? And they've done it in California at the edge of the traffic uh, highways. They have farms there. Ah. They have rows and rows of produce. Like I'm thinking, we need to think this. And a friend of mine was joking, Jesse, you should run for mayor. I'm like, eh, 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 maybe not. Maybe. That comes from another time. But the, the thinking is, the more we look at it from a communal win, neighbor feeding neighbor, I don't need to compete with you. We both win if you grow and I grow if, or allow us to grow. So if you have a backyard space that's just sitting there growing grass, don't farm grass. Let us grow food in it. I we'll work it. with you. That's what we we'll feed do. you while we're doing that. You know what I mean? And the more we learn and educate, now I am hiring summer students. And they're the ones who are going into these spaces to nurture the backyards and grow food in those spaces. So the more this conversation becomes a day-to-day, just a normal piece of it, it and I want it to be as boring as SpaceX landing the rock. <laughs> I want it to be that boring. Oh my gosh, it's about, yes, we do that anyway. Forget it. You know, that should help us. I don't see where the, I don't see many downsides to it. Right. Of course, we have to work on the food quality, food handling. That's okay. That's okay. It's a good journey. But because we're dealing with a sense of organic approach, we are not trying to pesticide and use things that are corrosive and, and detrimental to the spaces we're growing. I'm only seeing upsides. Here. And I'm challenging anyone to, to come into this stage. And please, yeah, if you see different, come tell me. If you own a grocery store or if you own a, a gas station, whatever, and you want to have a rooftop, let's talk. When you're building a condo, whatever. I'm, I'm here. We've like been waiting for you. We've been waiting for you. All right. So that so I want to, I want to wrap this on that. Jesse says, we are waiting for you. So Jesse, I mean, I'm going to wrap this up, but I'm going to say like, this is crazy. Like we blow an hour in no time. We're both passionate people. Like we have multiple connections. I could do this for a long time, but I think of our audience and our listeners, you know, we want to keep them engaged. We're going to get you back on. We're probably going to do some sort of video activity farming cast while we're out there where maybe I will get my hands dirty your way instead of my way because your way is growing better produce. Mine's just getting there. It's taken a few years. Yes, yes. It will teach many. So learn, do, teach. We say that a lot about a lot of industries and you've you've been learning, you're doing, and you're teaching others. And I love that. Teaching students and they're going to learn, do, and teach and become stewards of their own land. We've talked a lot about that. In in closing, before I close off, Jesse. How do we find you? How do people get in touch with you? Where do we go? Okay, so you can find me on our website, which is called Zawadi Farm. It's Zawadi, Z-A-W-A-D-I dot farm. So it's not dot com, it's dot A-A-R-M. So Zawadi, if you can search me online, just type my name, Jesse Jow. That's Jesse with an E-Y at the end, J-E-S-E-Y, last name is N-J-A-U, Nancy, January, August, June. Nice. Search me online. You'll find a lot of you find a lot of me there. Or you can find me on Instagram as Farman Jow. It's just farmer, last name Jow, all one word, or at Zawadi Farm. You can find me on those mediums. 
And awesome. yeah, I'm happy to talk with you. Happy to share with you ideas. It's it's hard to talk sometimes because I to respond quickly, <laughs> but we try really hard to respond to all the messages we receive. So if I get messages of do I have a backyard, what do I do? I have I want to learn how to do it. We we are happy and we are ready to to take this conversation to a bigger stage and let's feed ourselves, man. Let's let's just, like let's be neighbors feeding neighbors. Good. Well, my wife and I we are actively looking for. A what I would call a hobby farm, ten acres plus. You know that's what we're looking for. But in the meantime, oh my gosh, ten acres. That's I got so my cool. eyes on thirty-two. I missed the first thirty-two acre deal. I'm going after another one, but we'll get ten acres eventually. But in the meantime, our basement for microgreens and our backyard, we're going to figure out how we work with you, and we're going to donate them, and we're going to grow food for our immediate families, our neighboring families, our neighbors, and uh, make a difference. So really excited. And before we leave, folks. One last thing coming from Jesse before I sign off and give you a little closeout. Jesse, why did you call it, and as short as you can, because I know the answer, as short as you can, why did you call it Zawadi? Yes. Zawadi is a Swahili word meaning gift. gift. We look at land as a gift. So it's a gift farm. So That's the land it. we use is a gift. It's a gift But farm. I want to leave you with something. I want to leave you with something very quickly for you. Yes. So right now we have an acre of growing space, less than an acre. And we're feeding a hundred families, a hundred units a week. This is crazy. One acre, hundred families. So you're saying, 10, you're saying 10 acres? My brain is, wow. That's wow. awesome. But anyway, we'll talk more. We can unpack more further in Absolutely. our next conversation. But I'll leave the review with that. So I'm going to say this. The guy went from hammering keyboards to hammering greenhouses <laughs> to having hard, heartfelt conversations and growing food for others. He's now taking the beats, taking the punches, and now he's delivering beats. This guy is doing something awesome. He's got a great team around him. And remember, Zawadi means gift. One acre, a hundred families. This is amazing. This is an empowered conversation. And Jesse said it earlier. He wants to make this a boring conversation. So we're going to go from empowered to boring conversations about green foods, where we get it, how we eat it. This is going to be awesome. I want to say thanks for joining us in the conversation with Jesse Zhao. Check him out. You got all his, his handles there. This is Empowered Podcast, where I have empowered conversations with great people doing great things and helping others. If you're catching this live stream on LinkedIn, which is where we're running it, today on Wednesday, January 26th, also on, that's today, but on Friday, the 28th, also on live stream on LinkedIn, we're going to be having a really interesting empowered conversation with a bunch of physicians as we cover a couple of hot topics in medicine, as the truck convoy rolls the freedom of choice, if you will, to find out what doctors think about vaccines and mandates, restrictions for kids, and how it's impacting children's physical and mental health. So join us on Friday. Check it out. It's on LinkedIn. You'll uh, be able to subscribe so you get notified of it. But if you want to be a guest and you've got an empowered story or a charity or a cause and you're helping others or you know someone that just should be sharing their stories, nominate a guest, message me on LinkedIn, DM me, message me, get a hold of me. And I just want to say again, Jesse, huge thank you for joining me and sharing about the farm and the business and your vision and your charity. Thank you, buddy. Much appreciated, man. We have a lot to talk about, but this is, we got work to do. Now. This is the start. Time to get dirty, time to get working. Folks, I'm Patrick McGuire. I want to say thank you so much for having a conversation, empowered conversation, empowered podcast with Jesse. And I'm just going to say, have an empowered day. Thank you, Jesse. Chat soon.
sports fans, players, parents, coaches. There's only one thing to be said about youth amateur sports. That is, love your sports experience. RosterLogics is a sports management, registration, and payments platform developed by coaches and parents to increase trust, transparency, communications, and compliance so you can focus on what matters most and love your sports experience. If you want a better sports experience, check out rosterlogics.com with an X. That's R-O-S-T-E-R-L-O-G-I-X.com. Rosterlogics.com for a better sports experience. NFTs are hot. What's more exciting is where NFTs are going and what else they can do. NFTs don't have to be simple little JPEGs or digital images. Utility, my friends, that is the next big thing for NFTs and crypto. Meaning, what can you do with NFTs? What will they unlock for you? And what will they give you access to? Well, NFX company, the non-fungible experience company, is changing that. They are the future of NFTs by including experiences and collectibles for the NFX community. Discover the future of NFTs at nfxco.com. That's nfxco.com. Empowered. A Blue Mix podcast is hosted by Patrick McGuire and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. Empowered podcast may be compensated by sponsors, products, or services in this show. For more empowered content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord. 